We are in this series uh, about our core values, but gather, grow, and go. I'm the go guy. You ready for go? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. All right. Does yeah, everyone say that nowadays? I, it seems like I hear that every, every sporting event. Let's go. I mean, that's, that's just the thing. My, my 23-year-old, that's all he says, I think. I, every time I say anything, hey, how are you doing today? Let's go. Yeah. Hey, I just, I'm excited about that. Um, have you ever had those um, things that kind of pop up in life where you're just like later in life and you're just like, oh my goodness, I never knew that. And how did I miss that over so many years of like my childhood has been ruined several times in my 50s because I just figured out things that I should have known when I was 10. You know what I mean? And this is absolutely honest truth. Now you can go out on the internet and find all sorts of ideas that are just like the ones I'm going to present to you, but I'm presenting ones that are actually absolute 100% truth to me. You understand? These are examples, but they're absolute 100 truth examples for me. These are things I never knew until recent years. I'm embarrassed to say this on one hand. On the other hand, I don't really care if I'm embarrassed. I mean, it's just, it's just what happened in my, I'm naive, I guess, with certain things. And so you're going to find out what I'm naive about. Uh, number one, here we go. Picture, please. Did you know Cookie Monster's name is Sid? No idea. No idea. When I was like five and watched Cookie Monster, it's, I mean, you could, we can prove it. I mean, uh, uh, the Smithsonian even says something about it. The dude's name is Sid. Never knew that. Anybody don't know that? Anybody? Okay, so some of you are with me. All right, so I'm not so embarrassed now. Okay, good. Not everybody, you know, was on that. Okay, number two. Uh, there, the little arrow by the gas thing tells you what side the tank is on. <laughs> Never knew that. I'm serious. It was about two years ago when my wife told me this. And I'm like, couldn't you have mentioned this like 30 years ago? <laughs> At least when we first got married or something. But I think she just found out too. So <laughs> but yeah, so if you look, anybody not know this? I just, I just blew you away, didn't I? I just blew your mind today. Now when you go, it's like, okay, I can't remember which side the gas tank's on. Look right there in front of you, little arrow. So that means that's on the right side. There you go. All right. Next one, uh, Fruit Loops. No joke. I did not know this until just really recently, as in yesterday. This is, no, seriously, I never knew that. Every single Fruit Loop is the same flavor. Oh, my gosh. I have been so ripped off my entire life. I'm not joking. You think I'm joking, and yeah, I get it. I know why you're laughing, but I I really do sincerely. There's a little bit of, I feel like a bait and switch going on. I feel, I'm not sure I can trust Kellogg's anymore, or whoever that is. Who is it? It is Kellogg's. Thank you. That's what I thought. I I, I appreciate love everybody at Kellogg's, but don't ever bait and switch me like that again. <laughs> Next one. Uh, did you know these little settings on the toaster? I always thought those numbers meant uh, toastiness or shades of toastiness. No. It's minutes. And not only that, but there's one kind of toaster that's minutes. The other kind of toaster is how long it takes for the particular heating element to heat up. Did you know that? I was looking, I was reading like through all these, and there's not one toaster I could find that said about shades of toastiness. <laughs> Blown away. I still go by shades, I don't care what they say. All right, next, next one. 
Uh, yeah, have you ever heard this? Uh, I used to do this with my kids all the time with their toes. You know, like this little piggy. This little piggy went with all this stuff. And then one, the, the piggy that went to market, that does not mean that he went and got groceries. And I'm afraid to tell you what it means. Even though I have a feeling, you know. And I'm the only one in the room that didn't know that. And I, all this time, I thought it was a real kind little thing I'm doing with my kids. I'm, I'm talking about pig torture and didn't even realize. Anyway, my kids have forgiven me, I think. It's amazing to me, actually, how many little kids' things you find out are not so fun. Ring around the rosy. What is that? Black death. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Even Noah's Ark story, think about that. Fluffy, cute animals, two by two. The whole world, people died. Everybody died. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Uh, There's just all sorts of... Okay, so anyway, so I'm not the only one probably then that there's just some things you find out later in life. You're just like, how did I miss that? What exactly happened? Now, I'm going to read a really famous passage this morning. It comes out of Matthew chapter 28. How many of you, and you don't have to show your hands, just rhetorically here, have heard of the Great Commission? Now, here's the thing. Barna did a study here recently, in 2019 actually, did a study on how many people actually knew this passage. 51% of people in church, church people, did not know what the Great Commission was at all. Didn't know, never heard the term Great Commission, never knew that this passage was the Great Commission, Okay. 51%. 25% of people heard of the term Great Commission but could not tell you what the Great Commission was. 17% actually knew what it was and could tell you what, a little bit about what it meant. 17% of the church. 17. 6% people said, I'm not sure. I have no idea what you're talking. You know, I'm really not sure if I know where I don't know. Uh, so 51% of the church has no idea. So here's my prayer. Even though uh, you may be hearing some things, because you're part of the 17% and may know this, I'm not going to assume that. I'm going to assume that we are part of our culture and we are 51% of us may not even have any idea. So Matthew chapter 28, and I'm reading verses 16 through 20, but 18 through 20, those three verses are what was known as the Great Commission. And we're going to talk about what that means. Because if it's such a value to our church to go, we got the gather part, we got the grow part, we just got done talking about. Now we're going to talk about what it means to, to go. We understand something. I think you already know this. That I would hope anyway. I'm not going to assume, though. That the church is not a social club. Did you know that? That the church is not the, you know, another organization like other organizations trying to meet one or two particular needs in the community. No, the church has a mission. We are to be about doing something, and we really don't have a choice. It's not like we can sit in our our, our back rooms and try to come up with a better mission for the church, something that we, now here's the thing, sadly enough, lots of American churches have done exactly that, (laughs) and they've they've ignored, if if 51% of church people don't even know what the Great Commission is, then it seems to me we've ignored it, and that's sad. So we need to talk about that. So whether you're here in Effingham or in Newton and Shelbyville, how Newton and Shelbyville people, uh, together 
we want to know, I hope you want to know with me what the Great Commission is exactly because these, these are words straight out of the mouth of Jesus who is the one in whom we follow. He is the head of the church. He is the one who is in charge. No pastor here is in charge. Uh, no man, no woman, only Jesus. And with that being the case, every word that comes out of his mouth ought to be something we ought to be not only listening to, but maybe even memorizing, <laughs> knowing so well. And this is a very famous passage. We're going to read this. The Great Commission. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now let me stop right there. So the eleven disciples, did you notice this? Not twelve, eleven. Why is it eleven? Judas betrayed Jesus and was gone by now. This is after the resurrection. And so the 11 disciples went to Galilee because Jesus had actually told them before he actually died and was raised, I'll meet you in Galilee. I don't know if you knew, remember, if you knew that. And then later on when he shows uh, a resurrection appearance to the women, he tells the women to go tell the disciples to meet me in, in Galilee. So he goes back to Galilee from, from Jerusalem uh, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And I, I bet you there was very, some geographical significance there, even though we have no idea exactly where. Uh, but there's, there's got to be some reason as to why he had them meet them. But Jesus had directed, and, and when they saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I, I really want you to latch on to this, because a lot of times I think we read the Great Commission, 18 through 20, and ignore kind of these couple verses beforehand. And it's kind of interesting, because what he's, he's, he's calling them together uh, to kind of have this powwow after he's raised from the dead, and you still, you've got some of the disciples who are doubting. And what I find fascinating about this is that Matthew, at least according to Matthew, it just, it says Jesus came and said to them, and he just goes right into the Great Commission. He doesn't spend any time with the doubters. He doesn't try to argue them into some sort of understanding that, oh, I'm really raised from the dead. And, and according to Matthew here, there's none of that going on. He just flat out goes into the Great Commission. I want you to think about that. Tuck that away because what that means is, is that the church, even though we are full of people who some who might be full-on worshipers and some of us who still might be doubting, Jesus did not stop to, to, to try to clear that up with you. He just commanded you to go anyway. See, it's amazing. Out of these 11 disciples, you know how many of them died for the sake of the faith? 10, if not 11. So with that being the case, the doubters came not to be doubters anymore. And it wasn't necessarily because of argument. It's because of what they witnessed. It's because of who they knew. And it's because of what they were told to go do. And it's amazing, I believe, how strong their faith became as the Holy Spirit came upon them and as they went out into the world to tell the gospel, how strong their faith became even stronger in Jesus who wasn't with them physically anymore but became stronger in faith because of the mission that they were on. And that's so true about the church. We'll talk about that here in a second. Jesus came and said to them, here's the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Boy, that's a powerful statement. What is he saying here? Let me tell you a couple things he could be saying. I think one thing he could be saying is this, is that do you understand what just happened? When I raised from the dead, death has no more authority on me. The devil 
is not in charge anymore. That God has given me the keys to decide whether or not you even live or die. And people, oh, wow, that's... Now, Darren, don't cross over into this predestination stuff. I'm not trying to get into any of that. What I'm trying to say is this, is that Jesus is sovereign. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And here we go. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go back, if we can, to that first uh, uh, part of the text. And Jesus, so all authority in heaven, go, therefore, that's a command. Make disciples, that's a command. Now, there's a lot of talk about this, honestly, back and forth about people who know the original language, and they say what the word go can mean a couple things, <laughs> which I, I always, when I hear the word go, I just think go, you know. <laughs> Maybe I'm too simple. Uh, but some say, well, it could mean go in the sense of go into other countries, go around the world, other countries specifically, or go in the sense of as you go in life, no matter what you're at, where you're at, wherever God's got you, understand that you're on a mission. And truth be told, you don't even have to have just this passage. There are lots of passages, like Acts 1, where Jesus says before he ascends, you're going to be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, right here where you're at. In uh, Judea, our region. In Samaria, next door. In the world, right? There are plenty of passages that will prove this, that Jesus always wanted us to go, and going means to be his witnesses no matter where you're at, and also to carry, also and to carry his word to the nations, which is to cross cultural barriers. And so as a church, one of our core values is to understand that we, yes, we enlist missionaries. We actually support financially missionaries who are working in other countries who are crossing cultural barriers for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have some of our missionaries who are baptizing people who have never known Jesus, never heard about Jesus, because of the fact that we're working with them and supporting them. They're a part of us. But at the same time, you and I are not off the hook when it comes to going. And what does going mean? Let's talk about that here. In a, so let's go ahead and go uh, to the uh, commissioning statement here. What does it mean to be commissioned? What is the great commission you know, it just really simply means this, to be sent, to be sent by God, right? Sent by Jesus. And what are we sent for? The church doesn't have a choice. It's who we are. It's what we're supposed to be about. We are sent to tell other people about Jesus. It's really that simple. And here's what that means to me. What does it mean to be commissioned? Number one, it means that we've got to cross cultural barriers. You know, the term missionary is exactly that. It's a term that a person who crosses cultural barriers in order to tell someone else about Jesus. You know what? I don't think we think that applies to us sometimes. And, and here's the thing. I think that we in America especially have this idea that if people want to know Jesus in America, they just come to church. And that's not really my role. I don't have really have a part in that as much as maybe I, maybe I invite somebody to come to church with me. But if you really think about it, if that's what we think telling people about Jesus is really about, 
then what we're doing is we're asking them to be the missionaries. We're asking them to cross cultural barriers, things that they're not used to, things that they don't really know about. We're asking them to cross those barriers to come to know Jesus. But truth be told, go means we're the missionaries. We're supposed to cross the cultural barriers. And I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we think that what it means to kind of be an evangelistic church or a church that's on fire about Jesus is to depend on the few people who are up here on stage that are saying and doing the right things, hopefully, that someone might become convicted about their faith and even a faith they didn't know they even had and might come and become a Christian. And even though that may happen, do you understand that that's not the command? The command isn't for us to, to gather, worship Jesus, and then expect people who have no idea who are hurting in our world who have never looked to Jesus as their Lord and Savior and to expect them just to walk in the door. No. We've got to cross the cultural barriers. And believe me, there are a lot of them right here. (laughs) uh, Number two, we are gossipers of the gospel. Uh, Tyler gave me this uh, quote from this guy by the name of uh, Michael Green. This is really good. He was talking about how did the early church go, you know? How did they, what was it it about the early church? Because here's what's interesting. Did you know this? 25,000 Christians about 100 AD, 80 to 100 AD, several years after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, it grew to about 25,000 Christians in Jerusalem. From about 80 to 100 A.D., up until about 300 A.D., 3.5 million Christians. 25,000 to 3.5 million Christians in 200 years. How did that happen? And when you look back and study, you find out persecution had a big part in it, which is kind of scary. But at the same time, lifestyles like this, and here's how he describes it. The early church, it was not about people getting up and doing formal preaching, but instead it was informal chattering to friends and chance acquaintances in homes, in wine shops, on walks, around market stalls. They went ever, they went everywhere gossiping the gospel. They did it naturally, enthusiastically. And with the conviction of those who are not paid to say that sort of thing. Consequently, they were taken seriously and the movement spread. You understand what he's saying? To to be sent to go as a Christian is that I can't necessarily help myself. I I remember kind of like what Joel said as a prophet. He said, the word of God's like a fire that's shut up in my bones and I just can't let it stay in me. And I think that sometimes we kind of view ourselves as people who are uh, a a problem to society. They don't want to hear about Christianity. They don't want to hear about us, especially in a culture that has been faced with so many Christians, if you will, that have been all about Christianity and their religion and not about Jesus. So I understand their cynicism. But people who follow Jesus just can't help but share Jesus. That's the point I'm trying to make. That no matter what cultural barrier you have to cross, you do it simply because in my everyday life, 
whoever I run into, I want them to know. Here's the, here's the next uh, point is this, is that what it means to be commissioned is we are not conduits, but, I mean, sorry, we are conduits, but we're not saviors. You know, did you notice that Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to become rabbis. I want you to teach. I want you to baptize people. I want them to be initiated. I want you to help people find Jesus. And I want you to help people follow Jesus. I think a lot of times in our society, we think the Great Commission is just the finding part. It's not. There's also a following part, right? That means we have to stick with people. That means we have to love on people. That means we have to have relationships with people. And when you do that, when you put yourself out there, I mean, you've got to be, understand something. Jesus has called us to be conduits. Like he said to the disciples, I'm not asking you to be a rabbi to teach your own stuff. I'm asking you to be a rabbi to teach others about me and my stuff. You're a conduit, not, sa- not the Savior. I'll, I'll be real honest with you. This is hard for me when it comes to the Great Commission. Because for whatever reason, since I was young, God put a fire in me to want to be in the ministry. And when I say ministry, I'm not talking about working at a church necessarily or paid for any sort of job, even though that is my occupation now. There's been times in my life when it wasn't my occupation. But that didn't mean the fire wasn't still there of what God had called me to do to share my faith. I remember one particular, uh, I, I spent years as a youth pastor and and also, even when I wasn't a youth pastor, I was working with kids anyway as a volunteer. And I remember uh, one particular kid that <clears throat> came into our youth group one time. He was a uh, kid that uh, no one really wanted to talk to. I, I, I don't know how else to put it. There were lots of reasons for this, the more I got to know him. One is he was just odd. Uh, he, he, and he was odd because he really just didn't have a family that gave, uh, you know, a care about him. He had a mom who was into witchcraft. He had a dad who had ran away when he was young, but still kind of would enter into his life every once in a while just to tell him what to do. He had a school system that booted him out because they didn't want to have anything to do with him. He had to ride a bus uh, to another school an hour and a half away every single day. The kids in the youth group wouldn't talk to him. He didn't dress right. He didn't smell right. And he sure did not know Jesus. I remember I was sitting with him. Uh, my heart just went out to this kid. And uh, we were sitting at a, uh, on, a, on, a, on a hillside at a rock festival. <laughs> and I remember us having a uh, in-depth conversation, or tried to, but he had a hard time paying attention. He was, he was everywhere, and he was saying things that didn't make sense, and I, I didn't really know what was going on. I remember uh, we, we, we continued our conversation, walked back to our campsite, and we were sitting around a fire, and it was like two or three in the morning, and I remember just me and him just sitting there, and I remember praying, God, I think, I think he's possessed. And I remember praying, God, Please, somehow, please chase the devil away right here. Give, at least give him an opportunity to be calm enough to hear the gospel. And it, it, was, it was really freaky. I mean, after these, 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 this praying, he actually uh, went quiet for 30 minutes, just silent. Which, if you knew this kid, it was just almost impossible. And he sat still 
And I remember him staring into the fire for a long time. And then he looked up at me and with almost like clear eyes and clear voice started asking questions about Jesus. I, uh, I hurt so bad for him. And then some things blew up at my church that I had no control over of, and I left. He was just a kid, you know. And if there was any of the, all the kids I had, I had a, hundred, a couple hundred of them, but if there was any of them that I just felt so guilty leaving, you know, it was, it was him. Because I thought, how was he going to really know Jesus without me there? 20 years later, I get a phone call out of the blue. It's him. He was a software developer, some company. And he went on and on to tell me about the Bible study that he's in with other Christians and how he's been following Jesus for several years of his life and how I was the reason why. Now, here's the thing. I didn't say that to talk about me. I'm telling you, that's just it. I didn't save him at all. I was just a conduit, and not only that, but I was only a conduit for a very, very short time. And somehow Jesus, being his Savior, saved him. Somehow Jesus. And here's the thing. I, I really think that so, somehow, some way, we have gotten to the point where we have decided that Jesus is not enough to save people. If we believe in the Great Commission, then you have to really hear his words. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to who? To him. That we are to make disciples of who? Of him. Baptizing in, in whose name? In his See, the Great Commission is not about getting people to be a certain way or to look or sound a certain way. The Great Commission is not about getting people to go to a certain church or to perform a certain religious act. It's not about even getting people to pray a particular pray, a prayer, or to say some magic words. It's about introducing people to someone the same someone who changed your life. Church didn't change your life. Your church attendance didn't change your life. The people who are so faithful and been praying for you and cared for you and cried over you did not even change your life. They were a conduit, but he was your savior. See, the mission we've been given is so much bigger than us. It's got nothing to do with just our song and dance and how good we can be Christians, it's got to do with the fact that you are a witness to the living Jesus who has rescued you out of your brokenness. We are truly a hospital of sinners. And there are people right next to us in our workplaces that we need to go to instead of asking them to come to us because they're not going to. And they, we have desperately need to understand that this is a central core value of the church 
because it is our mission that we don't have a choice about is to go. I want to share with you really quick, how do we then share Jesus with our culture? If it's about sharing someone with our culture, how do we do this? This is not a class and tell you exactly what to say. But instead, what I want to do is I want to tell you some things that I'm just very convicted about that in 2023 are necessary if we really are going to reach people for the sake of Christ. Number one, you have to risk to care. You have to risk to care. You know what? It is easy, easier not to care than it is to care. Everybody with me? You want to know why? Caring means you get hurt eventually. Caring means pain. Caring means messiness. But in 2023, especially in America, no one's coming to Jesus until you start to care. People aren't projects. They are children of God. And I think sometimes we forget that in church circles. I think sometimes we forget that the only reason I came to Jesus really is because of relationship with him. And it's because somebody took a risk to care for me. And they let me know how much he cares for me. It's not about showing merciful acts to people. It's about actually showing mercy. Do you understand the difference? I've had some lifelong friends. Not many, but some who have never come to Christ. But they're still my friends. I'm going to show them mercy. I'm going to speak to them when I get a chance. But I'm still going to love them. Uh, what about this? Transparency, I think, is huge today. Don't you? Honesty is the best policy. That's all there is to it. Like I said, we're a hospital for the sinner, not an angel factory. Jesus is about people who are lost and know it. Right? Remember the two guys that went to the temple to pray? The one that says, oh God, thank you for not making me like that guy. That's how the world sees the church. That's how the world sees us. And I so desperately want people not to see us that way, but to see us like the other guy who was praying, oh Father, I need to repent. Oh, please change me. Change my heart. You see, I, I, I think people need to be transparent that means that people don't need to see you as a perfect role model. They don't need to see you as being the ultimate Christian or super Christian. They need to see you as, as a person who's just like them. I mean, be honest, because you are. So be honest. The other thing I think is this, is radical generosity. Here's what I mean by that. I think in 2023 especially, this is extremely important. I think a lot of times uh, we can be very generous people but usually we're generous with, uh, I'm just being honest, I think a lot of times we are generous with people who we know, who are in our circles, who are Christians just like us. Not that that's a bad thing. We're supposed to share and care. But I think we need to start seeing some more acts from the church individually of radical generosity to people who don't know Jesus. You know, maybe you need, and here's the thing, every time I bring this up, almost some, and I've heard a lot of people bring this up to me, and they come say, hey, can the church organize this thing where we all get together and we all bless all the teachers in our community or the firemen in our community? Those are all fantastic things, and yes, we can, but what I'm trying to say to you is you do it. You do it. 
get together with some other Christian friends, put a lot of money in the pot, buy a ton of cinnamon rolls and give them to every teacher in the town, do something radical, do something generous, and don't wait on some sort of church program because you are the church, right? If we're going to go in 2023 in America, we have got to be radically generous. And lastly this, we have got to do it together. This is not something new. This is something old. Because Jesus took those disciples, those fishermen, and those tax collectors, and he said, I'm going to send you out two by two, and I want you to heal people. I want you to cast out demons. And I want you to share the kingdom of God. These were really young guys who knew nothing It was early on in his ministry when he said, get out the door and go. And I think the reason they could is not because they were so... It's always me with the mic. Okay, I'm good. It's not because... I think the reason we can is is because uh, they could is not because of who they were, but because of who Jesus was and the power in them. And I say we need to have the same type of faith. But understand something, I know for a fact, and I know you know this for a fact, that it's so much easier in our culture to love on somebody if someone, another Christian, is doing it with you. Maybe some of you just need to say, you know, a couple of you that are living in the same neighborhood, and you come to our church, both, you know, maybe you need to get together and start praying for your neighborhood to get together. Uh, maybe if you want to do the radical generosity thing, maybe some of you could do it together. Maybe if you both have mutual friends that you know who are hurting and don't really know Jesus, maybe you could sit down and talk with them, actually love on them together. I think, I think this is it. I think this is the key. I don't think Jesus ever called us to go just by ourselves. It's supposed to be together. Hey, thank you for listening to me. I got one last thing. I love this uh, quote by uh, Craig Keener. He's a commentary writer. I I read a lot. He said, If many Christians today have lost a sense of Jesus' presence and purpose among them, it may be because they've lost sight. It may be because they've lost sight of the mission their Lord has given them. Wow. Could it be that if a church never goes then the gathering and the growing isn't very effective. I think that's true. Have we lost a sense of Jesus' presence? Have you lost a sense of Jesus' presence in your life? Have you lost a sense of purpose in your life? Maybe you've been coming to church for as long as you can remember You've done everything the church itself has ever offered, but you still sense there's something missing. And I'm asking, I have to ask this question. What are you doing about going? What barriers are you crossing? What people are you talking to? Who are you loving? Who are you risking to care about? Who are you being transparent with? Who are you being generous with? Don't you, don't you desperately want to see people come to Jesus? Don't you desperately want someone who is broken and hurting like you were to come to know him 
who puts everything right. The truth be told, most of us who are broken understand something, that maybe our circumstances in life don't always change. When I came to Jesus, it wasn't like this instant fix of everything that I thought was broken. What changed was me. What changed was my perception. What changes how much I how much love I put into the things that I was about in life and how that changed. And when I start to love Jesus and I start to see Jesus and I start to focus on Jesus, it's amazing how my circumstances change. Not in and of themselves, but how I just don't see them as important anymore. This is the true answer in America. People are looking in so many places and they are finding so many gods. But eventually they will be on their face begging for healing, begging for real forgiveness, begging for real understanding. And Jesus is the only one who can give it. You know it, and I know it. Father God, In the name of Jesus, I pray that we might be, we are commissioned, but Father, I pray that there might be kind of a a special commission from your Holy Spirit that comes down on us this morning. That if there's someone in here this morning that just needs to desperately get out there and go, that Father, I pray that you move in them. I pray that the ideas that are fluttering around people's heads right now in this room, that are are moving in their hearts. I pray that they don't give up on that or just let that become a fleeting thought, but instead that they will act. They will act in order to show Jesus to other people. Oh, Father, we're not their Savior. You're their Savior. But Father, teach us to be your conduits. Teach us to be used. Teach us to be your vessels. And Father, I pray in the name of the Holy Spirit that you might send this church that may this be something that's a part of our life and not just an event. Oh, Father, we want to see people find Jesus. We want to see people follow Jesus. Oh, Father God, we want to see Jesus be glorified in the coming of his kingdom here on earth. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus together, don't we? Amen.